Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, welcome to another exciting, enthralling, stupendous, unbelievable, larger-than-life episode of FNO InsureTech with your hosts, with your hosts, none other but the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Lee Boyd, coming to you from Waco, Texas. <laughs> That's your, that was your cue. That was your cue. And the and, one, the only. Uh-huh. Uh, go on. <laughs> the on. one, the only. <laughs> you forgot the, my name. You forgot my name. Stupendous Rob Beller. You Coming to us from Sacramento, California. You know, when I was in like third or fourth grade, there was this kid in my class, and I'm blanking on his last name. His first name was Jim. Oh, it'll come to me. Anyways, so Backfield. we're in third or fourth grade, and plenty of time when you know how to write your name. And we all had to go up to the board in the front of the class and do a math problem or something. There's like yeah. five of us at the board, and you had to start by putting your first and last name mm-hmm. above your, um, you know, the where the math problem was. Yeah. And so we all did that, and he could not remember how to spell his name. That's terrible. It was one of I felt so terribly for him. It was such yeah, an that's embarrassing awful. moment. Yeah. Yeah. How awful. I hated, I hated going to write up. Uh, whenever I got asked to go write on the board, I despised it because you instantly forget everything you know and obviously don't know how to spell. Yeah. And it, it's a yeah. terrible time. You had one, so you didn't like that when you were a kid, but you like it now. No. You kind of like it now. You kind of like being up front. Yeah, now. I like to write now. I don't like to write words. I like to draw pictures. Um, but, uh, you know, whenever I was a kid, I used to write. Uh, in a downward angle. And I remember it was sixth or seventh grade, I wrote in a downward angle. And the teacher said, depending on how you write, the angle is if you will be rich or poor whenever you're older. <laughs> and they told me that because I wrote in a downward angle, uh, I am bound and determined to be poor and I won't make it in life. Uh, and uh, I've always remembered that. And since then, I try to write in an upward angle. Wow. That is one of those almost unbelievable stories. Mm-hmm. It's not as bad as my fourth grade teacher who, whenever I colored outside the lines, told me I will never make it in life because I cannot color in the line. Uh, you will never make it. No, third grade. Third grade teacher. Huh. So you and I have something in common. That my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Hall, I remember you, Mr. Hall, said to me in front of the whole class that he knows that there's three people in the classroom or four or something of people in our classroom who are going to end up spending their lives in jail, (laughs) never amount to to anything. And I was one of them. That's terrible. Isn't that terrible? Mr. Hall. I mean, what what did you do to get that? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, maybe I was, uh, maybe I screwed off a little bit class. My gosh, that is... (laughs) <laughs> that is terrible. I'm sorry, Rob, to hear that. And though many will argue I haven't amounted to anything that's true, <laughs> I haven't done it in jail. So so he was wrong. Ha-ha, Mr. Hall. Mm-hmm. Look at both of us. Uh, We've proved so many right. of them wrong. 
Uh-huh. I don't know if I've made it in life, but I do write in an upward angle, and I do try to color <laughs> color in the lines. So I so can say that. So you changed. You changed. I changed just because of that. Wow, I've never even heard that before. One hundred percent of the time, whenever I go to write on the board for a company meeting, I I think about: Am I writing in the, in in the correct angle? Mm-hmm. I never learned how to spell, but I know how to write on a board in an upward angle now. Now, I will say for our audience at home, because we're all at home now, um, mm-hmm. that Lee is one of the smartest guys I know. So uh, a very smart, not a great speller. Horrible. When, whenever I get a document from him, the first thing I have to do <laughs> oh, yeah. is spend time to do the edit on it. It's true. A- a- absolutely. And, and Alicia can, can attest to it that uh, she helps me a lot with my with my writing because the spelling is horrible. To me, it all looks right. I don't see the misspell until someone tells me. And, um, well, you know, can we you know, tell I've, you I've had, well, I've, I've had dyslexia forever. That's, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, I've had dyslexia and people say, well, what, you know, what makes it different? What do you see? You know, how is it different? So I, I don't know. Uh-huh. I have it. I don't know what I'm supposed to see. <laughs> And so I don't know. Sometimes I look at it, I'm like, well, am I broken? Is it, is that why I can't spell? Is it because I never learned it? I don't know. I, I try to spell right. Uh-huh. But anyway, yeah. But look at you I can't now. spell. Lee told me that his for his goal of how many books he's going to read this year, he's 22 books ahead. I, so I that's, am. That's, that's pretty right. remarkable for a guy with dyslexia. It's a lot of it's a lot of books. I've enjoyed a a lot of reading, and and now I've so I've decided to read a longer, uh, thicker book that will expand my mind. And it's a lot of words on a single page, so it'll probably take me longer than a couple of days. Okay, well, wait till you read um, the Rob Beller story, including the chapter about sixth grade where he was told that he was going (laughs) to. He'll never make it. Adult life in, in prison. Yeah, I look forward to that. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe uh, I'll have a chapter in there with you. you well, first of all, in, in my book there'll be about fifteen words on a page. And it'll be <laughs> oh, about twenty three pages long. So it's well, a quick good. read. It's a quick yeah. read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I that'll be wonderful. I can't wait to read that, Rob. Speaking of having a hard time reading things, what if there oh. was something out there? What if there was something out there that could help you really understand documents with a lot of words and that are very complicated and it's hard to find anything that's in there right yeah how about a product that acknowledges that finding things in insurance policies is like finding a needle in a haystack and wouldn't it be neat to have a, a software out there that that you could rely on to help you you know who we should ask this question of who's that chris cheatham from risk genius I think that would be a great idea. Don't you think? I do. I think, I think that um, Chris could answer many of those questions. And why is that, Lee? Because Risk Genius, they are an AI software that is able to read policies and make sure that things are right, make sure that words are in there and financials are right, but then also look and scour through these policies for things that may give coverage or may exclude coverage to help everybody understand what's going on. We're, we're really interested in this because in the time of COVID-19 that we're currently in, what is in these commercial policies mm-hmm. is a really, really important question for insurers. Right. 
and for uh, policyholders. Right. And so we wanted to get some insight uh, about that. And so Chris, who not only is a co-founder and CEO of Risk Genius, he's also an attorney by education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, he has a great perspective on all this. And we could keep talking. We could go back to talking about our youth or what else could we do? We could listen to him. There you I'm go. pretty excited to do that. Uh, why don't we do that now? Okay, why don't we do that now? So here, without further ado, is our interview with Chris Cheatham, co-founder and CEO of Risk Genius. Hey, everybody. We're here with our guest today, the co-founder and CEO of Risk Genius, Chris Cheatham coming to us from Kansas City. How are you doing? Welcome, Chris. I'm good. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it feels like a really bad vacation right now here in Kansas City. You know, you're just stuck in your house, and but you got lots of yard and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, I hope everyone's safe and doing okay, because this is certainly a difficult time. Yeah, and for for, for those of you who's, who can't hear it right now, we've been listening to Chris's kids in the background which is a part of the fun of doing podcasts lately because everybody's doing them from their house. That's right. Everybody's home. So let's, let's, um, let's jump into talking about you and risk genius and so on and so forth. And uh, the first question I have to ask you, cause I can't wait any longer. And that is uh, you're known as the Luke Skywalker of insurance policies. Is, is that true? <laughs> Uh, that is very much true. Yeah. So there's a, let's back that up. Go on. Yeah. There's a, there's a funny story. So way back in the day, this is probably 2016. Um, I was just updating my LinkedIn profile. Like everyone does, you know, not really taking it too seriously. And, uh, at that time I was listening to a lot of Dr. Dre for whatever reason. And so I put into the profile under my, you know, description of myself, I wrote the Dr. Dre of insurance policies. And it was like, I had like, I don't know, I started getting people emailing me and being like, Hey, Dr. Dre, what's up? Can we check out your software? And it was a thing. And I'd go to conferences and people would ask about the Dr. Dre reference. And so that got a little stale after a while. So I just didn't have anything up for a while. And then, you know, all the Star Wars came out recently. And so I threw up Star Wars or Luke Skywalker of insurance policies, which I really like because there's lots of stuff about insurance policies I don't like. And so I think of those as kind of the evil empire, the the Darth Vader of insurance policies. And oh, I'm trying to bring the good you're side. You're saving the day. You're saving the day. I am, I am bringing the force to insurance policies without a doubt. I bet, there, there. I, I bet there's days where you feel like you're giving your life up for this. <laughs> Yeah, there's days where it feels like I'm being swallowed by the Death Star. Well, listen, let's uh, let's talk about Risk Genius uh, for a minute. Why don't you give us a minute or two on what Risk Genius is, so that our audience um, understands the rather unique and special um, so software and service that you guys provide. Yep. So Risk Genius, uh, I like to describe it as. Uh, we train machines to read insurance policies for human beings. And so there's a lot of situations where people have insurance policies that they need to review and they don't want to do it. It takes too much time. Frankly, humans are not very good at doing type that type of work where you're reading through a document for tedious little things. And so we've created software and artificial intelligence that can uh, go through an insurance policy find exactly what you need based on a checklist that you get to create, 
Um, and then you do your review very quickly. You can compare multiple documents against each other. You can also do a large document review of many, many insurance policies. Uh, and it just saves a lot of time and makes uh, insurance professionals a lot more accurate as well. So my end goal um, is to make sure my friends that are in the insurance industry don't have to spend their weekends and their nights reviewing insurance policies because there's just too much of that going on right now. I get that. What is a what is a real world example? When would this be used? Yeah, uh, a couple different examples. Uh, first one is policy checking, which I think is the bane of the commercial industry insurance industry's existence. Um, you know, you have last year's policy, and then a quote comes in from the carrier for a renewal, and you need to compare that quote to the policy, or you get the bound policy, and then you need to compare the expiring policy to the quote to the new policy. And these documents can range from 25 pages to 200 pages. And you're trying to go through and review them and make sure the correct stuff has been included. And let's say you're a big broker in the Midwest, you might have 35,000 accounts. And so you have to do that 35,000 times. And that's very time consuming. And so our software can help with that process. Um, the second example is something that really is um, uh, I guess emerged recently is the COVID-19 has created a lot of insurance questions. And so insurance companies, insurance commissioners, brokers, and insurers are all trying to comb through their policies and figure out what they're covered for, what they're excluded. What's my liability. Yep. And so our software helps them do that too. So like with COVID as an example, obviously in almost nobody's policy is COVID mentioned by name. Correct. Um, but your so your software looks for other ways that they may provide coverage or exclusions based on the characteristic of the risk or the the event. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, so we'll go through and actually create a checklist for different lines of business of all the different types of clauses that might be important for either coverage or exclusions. So if you want to think at a very basic level in a commercial property policy, there's kind of two bars to a claim related to kind of COVID business interruption issues. Uh, number one, a lot of policies now have virus exclusions. Um, those were created after the uh, SARS pan or SARS epidemic in 2003 uh -huh. or so. Uh -huh. um, and then the second bar, the second thing you look for if you're an insurer and you're hoping you did not cover uh, COVID related losses is you look for the requirement that there must be physical damage or loss to the property. I am totally nerding out right now. I apologize. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're basically looking no, for physical great. damage, physical damage or loss. And so the big question, I think this is the billion dollar question right now is like, can a virus cause physical damage or loss to property? And so I'm not huh. even, I don't want to opine on that because there's just go Google that and you'll find 50,000 different legal opinions about the issue. So, so they're actually, they're actually out there debating that the virus can cause physical damage. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the question, right? So um, I think the general interpretation has been that, yeah, there has to be like physical damage. Like you have a piece of glass that gets broken. That's physical damage. So then the question is like, can a virus that is on, let's assume you have the virus in your building and it's on, let's say you can even see it and it's on your computer, can it create physical damage? Is that physical damage or not? So 
Um, it's mm. I, I don't even like to like like give my opinion because right. it, all that matters is judges. Right. Right? Yeah. That's all that matters. So full disclosure, you're a recovering attorney, correct? Yes. Uh, yes. And some days more so than others. Uh, uh, so, th- so this must speak to you somehow, this particular situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it allow, I'm, a, I'm able to see where the soft spots are from both sides, where the language will be tortured to try to get one outcome or another. And so I try to understand that so that we can then make sure people are looking at the right things and then we can lead them to the point where they can make the analysis. They can, you know, assert their opinions about whether they have the right coverage or exclusions to prevent coverage in a certain scenario. So why is it even necessary to have you? Is it because of the complexity of policy language? Is it, or, 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 or and in addition, is it because you know you sit in a sales call with um, a with a broker who's selling you a large commercial policy you're going over all these different attributes and aspects that you want covered mm-hmm. and it's and and it and it helps to interpret that the policy actually is providing what you want so generally speaking and the the problem statement of why risk genius exists is because the insurance industry as a whole doesn't really know what's in their policies crazy and like i've you know said this in front of lots of underwriters and lots of brokers and like a good broker will know exactly what's in their particular accounts policy especially when they review it at the time sure. of you know binding but when you kind of get removed from that and then you have an event like this like imagine you're sitting in a brokerage now and you're like okay we have 50,000 accounts or we have even 5,000 accounts hey susie how many of those have coverage for covid who knows right like yeah. it, it, it's just a really hard issue because these 5,000 documents are going to be 50 pages, 100 pages, 200 pages long, and no one's ever actually analyzed them for this very specific issue. Like even if there was a virus exclusion, how does that apply to a pandemic? Will that matter? Mm-hmm. So you really do have to go through them and analyze them client by client. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, that's part of the reason. The other reason why this is necessary is because of federalism. And the decision to regulate uh, insurance companies at the state level. As a result of that, we have this um, complex system of insurance forms. And then to modify a form, you have to have an endorsement. Like, and the way I like to compare that is like, imagine every time you sent an email, you had to send the same template email every single time. And then you had to type out a Word document attachment and put it with email to modify whatever was in the email. You have to do that every single time. And so that is uh, because of that complexity created by the 50-state insurance regulatory system, these policies have lots of forms, lots of endorsements, and you you could be reading something on page 47 that relates to page 3. And so it gets difficult to understand the policies if you're just an insured, so you have to rely on your broker, and then the the level of um, disclosure is really going to matter at that point as to what you bought and what you understood you were buying. Sure, and it would be one thing if a broker is writing one policy and has one customer, but like you said, over a large number, a large cohort, it'd be almost impossible. Yeah. So, yep. so you guys kind of d- dig in there, and you find you can dig through these vast policies and find uh, phrases, keywords, and and concepts that then are highlighted so that people know where 
to directly go to find them. Do you interpret those as well? Yeah, that's exactly right. No, we do not interpret. Um, yeah, we want to leave that up to the humans. Um, so whether a clause is good or bad is based on the human interpretation. Now, there are things we can do where we extract out a portfolio of policies and all the relevant clauses, and then we can let the user score rank those clauses based on if they're good or bad, and then sort to show them, here's the policies that have good clauses, here's the ones that have bad clauses. Mm -hmm. But we don't interpret good or bad. We just don't do that. You just find. Exactly. Uh huh. And so is this the domain of commercial policies only? Is this the only place yes. where you're, you, where, where the value of your software exists? Yes, I believe. I, we don't do personal insurance. Um, we don't do life. We don't do health. Uh, the reason why we don't do personal lines like auto or home is because we don't think people care what's in their policy. And, you know, have you ever read your policy? I've never read my my home policy, my home. I've never read my auto policy. And so if people aren't reading those things, like I don't think I've ever been advised as of what policy I'm buying for my home. And as a result, the, you know, the utility of our software goes down if nobody cares. So you guys started, though, you, tell us tell us about the, the um, journey of Risk Genius. <laughs> And its previous yeah. names. Absolutely. So 2012, was it 12? uh, just prior to that, I was a surety claim lawyer. So surety is basically a guarantee on a construction project that it's going to get completed on time and on budget um, to the owner uh, by the insurance company. And so I would go litigate those claims when a project would go bad or a construction company would go bankrupt. And from that, I went to one of my mentors and I said to her, hey, I'd really like to just start becoming an independent claim writer for you. I want to write up the claims, let you submit them to the government or whoever you're submitting them to. And she said, well, that's nice, uh, but I have a lot of claim writers. What I really need is claim handling documentation in the cloud like facebook with a messenger and chat feature functionality and put it in the cloud it was like all these buzzwords strung together but it was exactly what she was wanting and so as i started kind of searching and realizing that there was not a great tool at the time i thought for claim document management particularly for surety claims and so we started a service and software offering where we would go to the construction site and get the doc documentation, uh, get the data, process it all, and then put it up in software that we had built. Not honestly a great business model in hindsight when I look back. Uh, but as we were doing that, an underwriter started using our software and called me and said, hey, I really like this. Can we use this for policy review? And I said, sure, what's policy review? And we <laughs> great, great literally, moments, great moments. In oh, history. yeah. I mean, um, I'll never forget because I, I literally started whiteboarding. And the first four things that she said she wanted were our first four features. And it turns out she was dead right that people needed to help reviewing policies. And here we are. So you had built a solution for a problem that you didn't even know existed. Correct. Yes. And I built a solution for a problem that. I had no grasp on how difficult it was to solve at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what was that like whenever whenever you did come into this world? I mean, was it <laughs> was it a, a whole different thing to you, or easily adaptable? What 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 happened? It was painful. Uh, so that was 2015. We were really kind of doing discovery in 2014. Started building in 2015. And I'll this is going to sound so naive, but it's just the truth. 
we built the product. Somebody had given us a bunch of uh, insurance forms and data that they had created. And so we built the product. It went live. We had built for, we didn't realize it, but we had built for commercial general liability. Oh, and okay. so the first, the first user we signed up, they start uploading property policies. And I look at of them course. and I'm like, what is this? What is this? What is this business interruption thing in this policy? Why is this formatted differently? Why are there not two columns? What is going on here? We didn't know that there was anything other than CGL. I'm just being totally honest. And so yeah. very quick. Right. Yeah. So we very quickly had to figure out, all right, how are we going to scale this thing across not just GL, which is the easiest, but everything else, including property, which is one of the hardest. And so it took a lot of work, a lot of grinding. Um, frankly, it takes a lot of understanding of insurance policies. You just have to read them and learn them and understand them. And then you have to train data sciences, scientists to read them, train them, learn them, understand them, do all that stuff. So it's been a lot of grinding to get here. Is that is that something you knew beforehand, all about the AI and all the everything about that? Or is that something you had to go out and learn or, or hire somebody to, to do it? Yeah, definitely hired somebody to do it. But I'd had a general sense of how to do it from my legal days because uh, in the space I was working in litigation, software was starting to emerge that used AI to read through discovery documentation. Uh -huh. So all the documents produced in a lawsuit. And so generally understood how that worked. Um, we tried to use similar techniques early on, which was hilarious in hindsight because we were using techniques on clauses that had been applied to giant documents. So they just broke and didn't work. They're about 50% accurate, which means you might as well be 0% accurate. <laughs> and so it just took a lot of tweaking and, and work to get to where we are now. You know, I'm always interested in in the early days. I, I can see online where, where you've had a couple of rounds and companies have invested in you. Talk to me a little bit about that. What was that like whenever you went and tried to get your first round of, of funding? Yeah, our first round of funding was on ClaimKit, so the Claim Document Management Solution. That was hard. The second round was hard because we were pivoting from ClaimKit to Risk Genius. And then the third round was... I believe that was with QBE, who you mentioned earlier. That was actually kind of a fun process because they had just started up a $50 million insurtech fund. And we went through essentially like a pitch competition is the way mm -hmm. I think about it. Okay. And then we, yeah, we, then we did some testing of the software with them. And so we were the first company they selected to invest in and sign a contract with. So that worked out really well. Um, another one of our investors that's been key all throughout has been Flyover Capital, which is based here in Kansas City. Um, they've been with us really since the beginning. And then most recently, we added two New York investors, um, Hudson and Hearst, kind of two big capital management firms in New York City. So that's been great. Lots of expertise around insurance with those groups. And FM Global, also an insurance carrier, came in. So each round I've learned is to some degree a war, like something bad happens in every fundraise. It just does. Something, some wrench gets thrown into the process. And I think this last time, I remember actually the wrench that got thrown into the process. I was on a train from Boston to Providence with uh, our COO. And I get off the phone with both sides are not happy with a particular issue. And I'm basically the messenger. 
and I just looked at him. I was like, I'm done. I can't do this the rest of the night. I, and so I went up a few step, a few chairs in the train and just, you know, did some Netflix and binge and woke up the next morning and figure out a solution. So, um, there's going to always be a wrench, you know, and that that's kind of how the process should be. Frankly, if you're asking for money, it should be hard. And I found it's very, very hard. It, it, uh, my son who's in the startup community um, also has had you know similar experiences in fact he was in the middle of a round uh, when this all hit when when oh. the whole covid crisis occurred yikes yeah if and I'm sure if anyone can empathize it's you um, uh, yeah how, I mean how complex that made it right I mean this basically this the events going on right now um, around COVID, but you know, you can get through that. But the problem is the economic downturn that's occurring as a result. Right. It just, it blows up rounds. This just mm -hmm. blows up rounds. So I've been hearing stories about, you know, some deals are still getting done that were in the pipeline. Others are not, they're just going to go by the wayside. It's just going to be a whole lot harder to raise money right now. And it probably will be, I don't know, the next, uh, who knows, year. I, I'm not in... <laughs> Uh, I'm not an economist, yeah. <laughs> economist. You know, I was reading. I'm also not a speaker. <laughs> I, I was reading on on uh, your website. You actually have a you have an article from Risk and Insurance, and at the end of the article, uh, it talks about Wave Two of insure tech and about yep. how this new world of uh, COVID nineteen and also the downturn of the economy uh, could enlighten people and give them new ideas and a rebirth of this thing called insure tech. Is that something you, you agree with? Do, do, do you think new ideas could come out of all of this? I hope so. Cause I think I said that like two days ago. So, um, but yes, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So I think when you look at economic downturns, the best companies come out of them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I could give yeah. you like, I think Google no. came out of an economic downturn for an example, for example. Right. And so, you have people that just start tinkering and they see issues and they see problems and this is when they fix them. And so that's exciting. Like in our company, although we're, you know, established at this point, we've been around for a while. We're doing a lot of work around what I was talking about before the COVID coverage analysis. And we're making some pretty interesting breakthroughs on the data science side to support that because the demand is so high that we're having to get faster and faster and faster at processing these documents and more and more accurate. And so it's really pushing the team um, in a time when it's kind of difficult to be working. Um, so yeah, I think great companies are being built right now as we speak. Wave two of InsureTech, I'm really excited about. Um, it, the one thing I think it's too bad is there was a lot of really interesting accelerators starting to pop up. Uh, yeah. particularly around brokerages that we're doing them. So those will probably have to pause for a little bit. But I think there's a lot of companies in those uh, accelerators that are really interesting. So as somebody, as a, as a company that uh, was around before there was a term of insure tech, right? I mean, you were, mm -hmm. you didn't have a category that you fit in, I guess, once upon yep. a time, insurance yep. technology or something. Um, how, Talk for a minute about how you view COVID and and what it's doing, and what what's your kind of guess? I mean, like you just said, you see that it um, it can spur um, ideas and and creativity and innovation. But does it does it concern you what th this this craziness is going to do to the insure tech space? 
I think without a doubt, some insure techs are going to really get hammered by this period because a lot of the insure techs are what I would call distribution plays. They're like mousetraps where they're trying to get new customers to buy their product, whatever that product is. Mm -hmm. And so you have a couple of things that are going to happen. Like insurance companies, the big insurers that had the big balance sheets, oftentimes were like the financial backstop for those insure techs. And so you're going to see the insurance companies really pull back from those relationships because there's going to be a general hardening of the market because insurers are just going to be really worried about their exposures. Uh, second of all, I mean, you're going to see a lot less businesses buying insurance. It's just, there's going to be businesses that die in this process. Yeah. And so that's going to be a whole round of thing to round as well. Like what businesses, what people, mm -hmm. who's buying insurance, like, it's just going to get really messy for a while. Mm -hmm. So I, I it will probably, I saw somebody refer to this as, and they were talking generally about startups, but it's like a, there's going to be a culling of the, of the herd because mm -hmm. there were some like grossly overvalued startups, not insure tax. I'm not saying that, but like there were some really grossly overvalued insure tax and everyone or startups. And people were wondering like, when will this stop? Well, it's stopping right now. But I guess there's, I guess there's still funds out there. I was, I think I was reading today that Airbnb was able to to s secure some funds. Yep. Uh, is that something you're finding? Are there still companies out there willing to invest? For sure. I mean, you it really helps to have a relationship with a, an, an existing investor or be very, very far down the process. Mm. Um, if you're just starting right now, it's going to be difficult, particularly if you don't have investors right now. Like initial rounds right now are going to be really tricky. Right. The, the, uh, we've heard many stories about basically money chasing com these startups yep. um, aggressively. And I think that we can all probably imagine how that might not be the case, you know, come next month. I, I think that there was some very timely sales of InsureTex that people are going to look back and say, yeah, those founders got out at the right time. Because um, if they were trying to do it right now, it'd be a different ballgame. So what does the future hold for you guys? Are you, is this just a, a, a vast market that you're, that you're playing in, a, a, a big pool to swim in? Or do you continue to bring other products in, into the future? I think we're set on our products right now because, frankly, we probably have too many with just two. Uh, so policy checking is a pervasive problem in the industry. We want to fix that. We're ready to fix that. And emerging risks is a pervasive problem in the industry that, frankly, will never go away because there will be something after coronavirus. There will be something after whatever the next thing is because as we just have insurance policies that we write at one point in time. And in the future, something happens that we didn't expect. And so we have to go back and review those policies. So I guess the, what I'm trying to say is like, there's always going to be scenarios for reading insurance policies mm -hmm. and that's where we play. So we just want to really nail down the market now. So Chris, I assume a lot of your interaction with carriers comes from conferences. And as we've seen, uh, many conferences have been canceled and postponed and, and the world of conferences is a, a little strange right now. Uh, you know, I, I guess when conferences get going again, can you give us an idea? What are some of your favorite conferences to go to 
uh, whenever you're dealing with InsurTech and, and connected with insurance companies? That's a great question. I, I would, first of all, argue that InsurTech conferences had already gotten a little bit weird. There were <laughs> okay. so many. There yeah. were so many. Yeah. It was hard to keep track of them. Like a lot of them were pay to play, you pay to speak, which mm-hmm. was yeah. a game that we've tried to stay out of. Mm-hmm. And so there are some that I like a lot. Like, I mean, InsurTech Connect in Vegas is insane, but it's yeah. also the only place you can go to, at least for me. And I can have like eight meetings, 12 meetings in two days without flying anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. So That's it's right. a perfect mid year meeting point. Yeah. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a great conference. I've been going to a lot of the smaller ones recently or before everything was going down to go talk to brokers, to go talk to smaller underwriters, because there's just a lot of noise at the bigger insure tech conferences. And it all kind of sounds the same a lot to me. So the other thing that we did this year was uh, I was big on let's build our own platform. Um, and we probably could have timed it any better because we came out with insurance prospectus. Um, it's a, our blog on our, on our website. Yeah, and when we did that, we started writing about COVID coverage issues and all of a sudden it just blew up. And so we had, you know, lots of signups, lots of hits, way more hits than a website that covers insurance policy language from a historical perspective really deserves. Um, but here we are. Before we go, I want to spend a minute or two on corporate venture capital. And uh, we mentioned Ted Stuckey before as somebody who's been involved in your company and spoke highly about you. We ha- he was a guest on our podcast a while ago. That was a super important relationship for you guys, or it is a super important relationship. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Talk about how yeah, ven- corporate venture capital is unique and, and what it's meant to you guys. So corporate venture capital can be excellent for a uh, newer company, particularly when you're doing large enterprise sales. Um, the key that I've noticed, and I'd say Ted was an expert in this, is making sure that the corporate venture arm is aligned with the business. So essentially, you have to cross the chasm. What I mean by that is like make sure that you're not just if you if it's important to have like a, a ongoing engagement, you know, a contract with that corporation, you got to make sure the corporate venture side gets across to the users and confirms that the users have a problem that they want to solve with the software. That's really the sweet spot, right? Is when you have investment and you're solving a problem and you just have people that are very happy. Mm -hmm. So there, I guess a mixture of the two, they poured some insurance guy in there and some investment guy in there and stirred it up. Both are are super critical to you because didn't QB become a key customer at kind of as a result of the investment? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, they're one of our best customers. They give us tons of feedback. Um, Yeah, it's been key uh, to making everything work. And so one of the things that, you know, we learned and they learned, we learned a lot about implementation from them because they were our first large implementation. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say our customer success group now is excellent because of the growing pains we went through with QB. I'm not sure we would have gotten through those growing pains without also the venture side investment because you know everyone kind of digs in and says okay we'll make this work when you have both the venture and the contract side working together right they have a vested interest in your success you know beyond the financial that's a that 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 that's a great story um before we go there's a really important 
question I have to ask you. What is it like being a Kansas City Royals fan? Long-suffering, but then what happened? Then, then we won. I mean, 2015, <laughs> right? So, I mean, 2015 might have been the one of the most land. fun years of, of my life. And it really helped that I had a friend that was very high up in the Royals organization. And ah. so when, you know, I was always able to get in for games during the, uh-huh. the playoff run. And then it culminated in I get to go on the field when they won the AL pennant. And so there's actually pictures of me on ESPN standing next to Eric Hosmer as he's getting <laughs> interviewed. And I look like an idiot, but I don't really care. Who cares? Uh, that's was, right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it was amazing. I mean, also we have the Kansas City Chiefs, right, who just won their yeah. first Super Bowl in 50 years. Congratulations. What a time for a Kansas City guy. It's kind of a renaissance of sports here. So, um, And we're kind of set up, at least on the football side, for a while. The Royals look like they're going to hit one of those upswings here again, uh, assuming we all start playing baseball again. So, I, I was going to say that years ago, it's 2001, so it's a lot of years ago, had the opportunity to go to all four World Series home games for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I was living in Phoenix. And being on that run, of which they finally won in game mm-hmm. seven in the ninth inning, was, I mean, it's one of the great moments of my life to this day. Yep. Right? So yep. um, I, I appreciate, you know, suffering and then making it to the promised land. It's Makes it more fun. Uh-huh. It's like a startup. It's, I was going to say, it's kind of like risk genius, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It took it took a couple tries till you guys finally get there, but uh, we hear nothing but great things about you. Well, listen, thank you, and um, we look forward to um, crossing your paths uh, sometime in the future. Absolutely, thank you so much. When we're all free to do that again. Absolutely, I think you know it looks like things are slowly improving. So let's all keep doing our thing and making this work. Thanks. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. You know, one of the, <laughs> are you, are you meditating? I was humming. <laughs> are you, are you meditating? Sorry. Risk genius did that to you, huh? Chris Cheatham and your and <laughs> one, one, one podcast with Chris Cheatham and you're meditating. I med- I have to soak it all in. That's what happens. Uh, there was a lot, there was a lot there. You know, one of the things that is so interesting about insurance is it's vastness. Like sometimes we talk about how vast insure tech is and all the different parts and pieces of the ecosystem but just insurance is so vast and yeah and the product that they have is so important like our commercial policy at our company is i'm holding my fingers up about two inches or right you know, apart or, or is this thick yeah it's actually multiple binders right it's well it, right it's a number of notebooks right w- what's in there that's a great question. That's a great question. And I think he solves a, a need. I mean, imagine being the broker who has 5,000 policies, right? right. And, and now it's time. 5,000 customers, right? Yeah. And now it's yeah. time to do renewals. And did we do it right? I, I watched the, the little two minute demo on Risk Genius. And it was interesting because it was saying, hey, these numbers don't actually add up. It was able to look at figures and say, oh, this is wrong. You accidentally did this wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's pretty cool. It's it's uh-huh. a really really neat, and it solves it solves a problem that's out there. Sure, especially you know the the higher you go up the value chain of of size of some of these policies, right? Like companies that have many locations or many operations throughout a country mm-hmm. or even the world. Think of how complex it is. 
So yeah. to keep track of it, I, and and then add on top of that, like we like we talked, the current situation with COVID. Yeah. What's in there, and what applies, and what applies. Yeah, I mean, it's the unknown. It's whenever you read it the first time, uh, you read it with only that which you knew. And now you're re- now you have to reread those with the understanding of I'm looking for for this that I didn't even think to read for the first time. That didn't even exist. Didn't exist. When the policy was written. Right. The the mm-hmm. possibility, the assumption, any of that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you know, I, I read a lot of books, right? And I read books under a certain certain thought. But then whenever I learn something new, I'm like, wow, I, I need to go back and reread that because I could have understood it differently. And that's what he that's what he allows. He allows his software to reread very, very quick uh, under new circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Uh-huh. Fascinating. I uh, also liked what we talked about with, you know, raising money and what this is, what this might do to insure tech. I think we have an upcoming episode that we're doing with um, a couple of notables in the insure tech industry. Yeah. To, to talk about what is this COVID thing going to do? What's it mean to, to the move to the insure tech movement? And I mean, that chapter hasn't been written yet, but it's, it's not going to escape, escape scot-free. Yeah, wouldn't that be interesting if there was a second wave of insured tech, right? What is, and it's not even so much the the COVID-19, it's the downturn of the economy that's really got me interested, where the funding has dried up right. uh, for some of the startups that were out there who were just on the on the beginning, right? Are they going to go away? Are they going to come back with new spins? I think right. they're going to have to come back with, this is what we were doing, but this is what we've now decided needs to happen. It'll, it'll, it'll change the landscape of, of intro tech as we know it, I think. Sure. And Chris and company, very, very smart people and right. very interested people. So interested and smart. They have a, this other blog, I guess it's a website called insurance prospectus. We didn't even really get into insurance prospectus today, but you should take a look at it. It is um, part of the risk genius. You find it, I think on the risk genius website, but it's really interesting writing about uh, like right now, it's mostly about COVID, but it's also there's also a lot of information about um, uh, uh, silent cyber malpractice, other things. Um, very interesting, very smart, interesting people who've done an amazing job. Loved what they had to say about uh, corporate venture capital and its contribution. Right. Great guest. Yeah, I agree. It's always good to have somebody on from a different background, right? With a with a legal background, who can enter into our industry and and have a whole different perspective on things. I always mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. All that, and in Kansas City, what do you know? Who would ever thought in Kansas? Not me. Well, we thank you all for being with us today, and for your interest and your time and your patience, and for your subscribing. And we will look forward to you on our, oh, and big thanks to Chris Cheatham for Miss Genius. Yeah. And we look forward to next time on the one and only FNO InsureTech. (laughs) And aren't you glad about that? Yes. Yes, I am. And so we say what we say every time. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.